0: Hey, pals, it is our second best of episode. Whew. You know who I want to shout out extra this year? Sierra. I want to shout out Sierra, who helped me start a Patreon, who constantly keeps track of my schedule with this podcast, who helps with all of the booking and um, is just invaluable. Ah, oh, Sierra, you are the greatest. Also, Jordan. Jordan is our audio engineer. Matt is a producer on this show. I want to thank Sierra, Jordan, and Matt for a great 2020 in terms of making this podcast. Ne- didn't think I could ever do it from home. Didn't think I could ever do it to begin with. And I really appreciate them. And you enjoy this best of episode and next week we'll be back with brand new episodes of Query. I've
1: been-
2: on, darling, I know, I know, I know it's careless. Lucky for me, you know, growing up in, uh, in a family where I was, um, the fourth generation, you know, uh, all Sicilian New Yorkers, and luckily in New York, everyone uses their hands. I mean, Jester is such a part of kind of who we are as New Yorkers. Um, my mother actually, you know, went to a deaf school. Uh, you know, so she came out with a lot of experiences, you know, in the hearing community and, um, you know, my mother often would uh, go to Studio 54 in New York, actually. She uh, is a big dancer, used to go there all the time, and is very, very, very good with interacting with hearing people. So when we were kids, of course, my mom was, you know, very much sort of that bridge, right? She kind of, uh, you know, taught us how to, you know, work and interact with hearing people. My my mom always really pushed uh, her kids to play on hearing leagues, to play sports. And, you know, when of course we would always ask like why are we playing with these hearing kids she'd say well at some point you have to learn how to interact with them and now looking back at that experience i'm incredibly grateful for what that gave me right i never really felt a big difference you know between hearing people and deaf people i really more or less felt that hearing people just spoke a different language you know they were kind of a foreigner i was kind of a foreigner um you know all of our uh, close friends in the neighborhood were all hearing so it, it really was an interesting experience certainly um And that, of course, contributed to my experience on America's Text Top Model. And now with my career in the industry, 90% of the people that I work with live in the hearing world. So, you know, for the first 25 years of my life, things were, you know, very different, but of course, really impacted that. I'm so thankful, you know, but I definitely wasn't sheltered by any means.
0: Well, sports, that makes so much sense. I mean, it's a great idea, especially because I mean, literally baseball has signs. What sports did you play?
2: Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, To be honest with you, I I played just about everything I could. Um, You know, baseball, there's actually a really interesting history, uh, you know, dating back to, uh, you know, the sign for strike or, you know, to ball or, you know, to all all the different gestures. And those were actually created years ago uh, by a deaf baseball player. His name was Dummy Hoy. Um, and he was the first deaf baseball player who ever made it professional in the 1800s. And uh, when he got into the pro leagues, he couldn't communicate with people, and so they developed a, essentially a, a system of hand signs or hand signals. And the rest is history. And now we see that you know those hand signals have made it to all sorts of other sports. That's how we communicate across fields, and yeah, because of a deaf person.
0: Well, I was I was also reading that Gallaudet is where the football huddle originated.
2: Yeah, because yeah. folks were
0: signing and needed. Just for anybody listening
2: that um doesn't yeah, know like that, that um, didn't want anybody to be able to folks see folks were
0: signing and they didn't want people to see the signs
2: uh right right yeah um against uh playing you know against another deaf football team obviously if you know you're communicating in sign language across the football field you can see you know if, uh, across the football field you can see exactly what the other team is planning for so that's where the huddle was invented and you know, I I don't know why hearing people thought it was a great idea, but you know, I guess they really love it now. You see it on TV every Sunday, right?
0: <laughs> I mean, I think I think it. Um, I mean, maybe it also just is that thing of you know feeling protective and like you're part of a group, which again would be would which makes so much sense why your mom would suggest that. Like it it makes perfect sense. And I also am curious. Now that I'm like realizing, because I just said the word listening, do, do you interact with podcasts, you personally, as a human?
2: Um, to be honest with you, it's it's kind of another thing. Um, so podcasts are typically just done through spoken English and with and with voice. Um, a lot of them yes. do provide uh, transcripts, which are pretty extensive, and you know, occasionally I'm happy to to pull one up and and give it a read through. But it's not the same experience as it would be, you know, to listening to a conversation. Uh, you know, if there were podcasts uh, with, you know, say sign interpreting or, um, you know, something that I could essentially listen to through my eyes, I think I'd be a lot more comfortable and I I might even be a fan. But yeah, I'll take it anyway. But, you know, to yeah. be honest with you, I I don't have any favorite podcasts that really come to mind.
0: That makes perfect sense. I mean, I don't I will say I do not think it is a an art that is accessible. Like, I just don't think that it's something that folks are focused on making it accessible for deaf or hard of hearing folks. And I will even say as a comic, you know, um, a lot of times when I've provided an ASL interpreter, which I've done many times, it usually comes per a request, which again is something that like I could continue to work on. Um, But it is, it is the is on the deaf or hard of hearing person to send me some random tweet or to get in touch through my management or whoever's right. booking the show, and that has happened many times. But, like, what a fucking bummer to have to constantly work to be accommodated.
2: Right, right, definitely, definitely. You know, it's it's always a matter of of reaching out. Um, you know, but it's just so become a part of a part of what it is. You know, we oftentimes wish wish accessibility would just come to us. Um, yeah you know it's funny uh, actually for um you know trumps you know large meetings and and for his large rallies you know he he doesn't provide interpreters and so a group actually sued the white house and finally um they are putting access and transcripts up live wow took a lawsuit
0: and that makes so much sense to that that, that it would be important to i mean to read what he's saying that specifically that person versus being able to um see what he's saying comprehend what he's saying in a visual format like that is so it's just so impactful his presence is so impactful
2: in a negative way
0: (laughs) but 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 it's (laughs) it's part of
2: it (laughs) definitely you're absolutely right you're absolutely right yeah i mean honestly he you know downplayed the whole thing Right. And continue to, you know, deprive millions and millions of deaf Americans, you know, of their access to participate in the democratic system and and to vote. I mean, it's just wild.
0: Do you think there is there any is there anybody is there any um, art form or like who's doing a good job with this? Is there anybody doing a good job making things accessible for you?
2: Hmm. Like, just in general? Hmm. Let me think.
0: Yeah. I mean, now that, like, because I guess now that you're saying it, I'm like, question. this feels like it would always be on you. You know? Like, I just, I can't think right. of something, and I, I thought maybe you had that, like, magic yeah. thing, and you're like, this person's S- nailing same. it. Same.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is definitely a constant. Um, you know, it, it's constant, uh, constantly a lack of access. Um, but yeah, I can't think of anyone specifically.
0: Wow. I mean, I've, <laughs> I I will. So for, and my partner is. uh, She has an autoimmune disease that affects her energy level and affects her ability to get around. Um, She also, and she can use. um, Sometimes she uses walking sticks, like as a, as an aid. Um, But the particular ones that she uses, they they're hiking sticks. So I think it can look like. I think it can look like right. other stuff's going on, right. like, right. and then she also vis visually, you know, she's one of those people who doesn't necessarily look like she's dealing with something, right? And um, it's been really eye opening, um,
2: being yeah, with her, Very traveling prominent.
0: with her. That's so you know, much a
2: part of our general community, you know, of disability is is you know really just an invisible disability, definitely. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Right. I mean, like, for instance, we board planes first. I mean, in a time when we would fly. We're not flying now, but in a time that we would fly the section where you're where they ask who would like to board planes first, like we go up at that time. She actually does need right. extra time to get on. But we look like two um able-bodied people in our thirties. And sometimes she'll be in a wheelchair to get on and sometimes she won't. And it is um like we were going through customs traveling internationally right. and had been waiting for so long.
2: It's, oh, funny that you, it's funny that you mentioned that. There's so many invisible disabilities, right? There's visible yes. and of course there's invisible disabilities. And it's like you mentioned, right? You look like two normal able-bodied people in their 30s. I mean, you know, people look at me and they, they don't even, they have no idea, right? They don't know until they try to communicate with me. The same thing with your partner. There's a lot of that.
0: Well, what about you in dating? Just generally, do you, have you often dated people who are also deaf? have you often dated people who are hearing?
2: Well, uh, I've definitely dated uh, a lot of deaf people, but that was really prior to finding my career uh, in the entertainment industry. Um, you know, I was really a part of the deaf community, of course, um, and I, you know, I wasn't against dating a hearing person, but it just was a lot easier to date somebody who who signed. I mean, I've, I've definitely dated uh, a few hearing people who knew ASL, which makes things easier, um, but after, you know, finding my place in in Los Angeles... You know, ninety percent of the people who live here are hearing. So, um, you know, I I tend to to date around more hearing people. I should say it does make it a little bit more complicated when they don't know sign language because, uh, you know, dating essentially becomes building a foundation of a language, right? Versus really getting to know someone. So, you know, I feel like it's a little bit of a of a side, a little bit of a bummer.
0: Yeah, my little sister is married to a man who, when they met, she. Um, my little sister's married to a man who, when they met, she was only spoke, well, she spoke some Spanish. She's primarily spoke English and he spoke a very small bit of English and mostly Spanish. And now their household is a mostly Spanish speaking household and she's fluent and he, his English is very good now too. And I will say that, um, I think that gap is something that like, you know, you hear about in terms of a romance novel or My Little Sister's Life. Um, but it seems different even than ASL, which I think we don't talk about as much as a language. So English and Spanish, oh, like how sexy, she had to learn Spanish, she had to learn English. But I don't know if we commodify or um, or talk about
2: the definitely, difference between. definitely. And I think, you know, truly like, the point of that is culture, right? You know Spanish, um, you know I would say is, is pretty you know broadly known, um, out there. But I think it's also really tied to many different cultures, which is incredible. But not a lot of people are really aware that the deaf community has its own culture, right? I think that's where the big gap comes. Plus, it has to do, um, with you know a hearing ability versus a hearing inability. So I think it is definitely hard to kind of compound those two, and comparatively with Spanish.
0: Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Right. That makes sense. I think what you're saying, I can, I can understand from the perspective of the queer community, which a lot of times I think for a straight person, it's hard to understand that like, we have our own history, our own role models, our own jargon, our own like favorite coffee shop that is explicitly inclusive. You know, that it's not just being outside of straight culture, but that it's also being inside of queer culture. And similarly, straight people don't have to learn about queer shit. Like I have gone to all the straight movies. I mean, they, you know, now I guess sometimes there might be, there might be some straight people at a queer movie, but like, that's, you know, very fucking new. Um, And I still think that. Definitely.
2: Definitely. It's it's the same. I mean, honestly, I was just texting actually, a group of all, my, of all my best friends are all straight guys. And I said, you have to watch the boys in the band, right? I mean, I love it. And they're not going to understand so much of it, right? But I think they're really going to try to get it, you know? Uh, but that's so much of the gay queer experience, right? Is, you know, you're you're absolutely right. So I I have this show that's, you know, full of gay and queer men. And I'm trying to kind of bring that culture into their world to give them a little bit more exposure. Um, you know, and I think the way that they view the queer community is really as a monolith.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Or not connected necessarily. Because I also think that we talk so much about division in the queer community and also people make so much fun of the many letters, but I was just listening to I I um I was right. just There you go. I was just listening to a podcast that's called Code Switch and they were talking about the word bipoc or like the the acronym bipoc and it's like a a Latinx woman and a black man, and they're talking about whether or not they like it. And then they were interviewing a bunch of people, um, sociologists, whatnot. And eventually the sort of thing that they came to is that whether or not people want to identify individually as something different, the collective experience makes us care about each other. So being part of a larger acronym gives us um, a desire to protect everyone in that group. And I I don't know what that experience is like for deaf people. Is, is there a world where other folks with a disability, like that it's, that it's, that there's a clustering there or a community there?
2: Definitely. It's, it's definitely interesting to consider, um, you know, I mean I'm 31 now <laughs> but there was a time when I was when I was 25 right and and you know the first 25 years of my life I grew up and I I would say I'm not disabled I'm not a part of this disability community that's it's a completely different world you know for me but you know the more I met people and and the more I really started to realize you know it it became my own kind of understanding of my own identity right there are different accessibility needs certainly in the greater, you know, disability category than than there might be specifically for deaf and hard of hearing people. Um but you know, it's it's really like internalized ableism that I was experiencing forever, hmm. you know, and and wanting to really kind of disconnect from that ability or from that uh from that greater group, you know, really really I mean it, it definitely wasn't contentious by any means, but I needed it reframed for me to understand, you know, that there is this much larger community that can band together and and, like you said, protect one another and support one another or at least advocate for one another in the deaf and hard of hearing community, we certainly have um, you know uh we're 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 very inclusive obviously of all sorts of deaf people, but we have a category that we would consider deaf plus, right um which would mean deaf with an additional disability um, trying mm-hmm. to think of i think it's d b t h h. I mean, we've got we've got some acronyms as well, which essentially means deaf, deaf blind, um, deaf and hard of hearing. Uh, you know, we definitely have have the acronyms and which exist in our world in order to you know show inclusion of everyone and show that we're kind of a larger collective. Yeah.
1: Back for another game. You know it. What's going on?
2: Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs>
1: Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh,
2: nothing. We're all set for Max Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming.
1: Check. What? Hang on.
3: Listen, here's some good news. Let me tell you this news, okay? Since the day Untamed came out, it has been number one on Amazon in Christian self- I did see this. Cameron. I don't care about anything else. All I do is check Amazon (sighs) relentlessly to make sure it's still number one Christian self-help. Okay. So I don't know what that's about. It makes me so excited to think of all those Christians just buying the gay book. I don't know. It's hopeful to me. And if nothing else, it's completely hilarious. But I think like, look, Abby and I have this thing going on where it's like, do we hate religion? Do we love religion? Do we hate faith? I think we actually really, really both deeply have this weird faith. Um, but it's like, it's like you have this, you have this thing inside of you that's like a spark, or like this thing that swells inside of you that has something to do with. God or the divine or I don't know, it's something that's just bigger than you. And then when you're little, you go to religion, it makes me feel like it's like it's like having an artist spark inside of you, and then going to a class where somebody sits you down and they're like, color inside these lines, and if you don't color inside these lines, you will be hurt and I will smack you and I will shame you for the rest of your life. And that is art. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <it>. <laughs> right? Yes. So then <laughs> So then after a while, you're so traumatized and you're so shamed and you, you have been so mistreated that you think you're not an artist, but you were not, you were always an artist. You just got this really horrible, bad class on this shit. And and these people that were teaching it had no idea what they were talking about. And like, for me, the fact that I'll tell you, this is what I think is inexcusable okay, I find it completely inexcusable that any parent with the level of consciousness we should have right now, okay, would put their children in those sort of shaming, traumatizing religious experiences. That is something that's very hard for me to stomach as a mother, as a human being, Um. And the, and, the, and the funny thing is, you know, since I'm in this space of, like, um, the Venn diagram of, like, faith person and um, whatever I am, like, it, in the same gender marriage, I don't know what I am, actually. But um, people write to me all the time about these, you know, their kids coming out and they've been in churches and they've been in whatever. And they're so sad now because their kids have been listening to this shit forever from the pulpits. And then they come out. And it's too effing late. Like, it's too late to wait until your kid is or isn't. So then what? You go and try to, you know, real quick bandage up the scars that this kid has been suffering with alone forever. It's too late. I mean, you can try. But, like, those God wounds, they take forever. I mean, Abby, so for a while, we figured out maybe like a year ago that, okay, how do I explain this? Abby's like furiously mad at a God she doesn't believe in. Yeah. Which is a difficult place to be Yeah. In. <laughs> right? So, which, which I was trying to like dissect with her the idea that if you're really furious at something, you probably have some idea that it exists, Right. Uh, and so what we figured out is that she, at a very young age, she, as a little gay kid in a Catholic church, she felt like she was given a choice, right? That she could choose God and church and her mom, or she could choose herself, right? And she chose herself and her selfness. Keeping her selfness has required her to spend her whole life saying, "Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you to God," right That is I'm proud of her. like that is what it took and But the thing that I think is true is that I don't think that at a young age she chose herself instead of God in church. I feel certain that she chose herself and God instead of church right? That she was unbelievably wise and spiritual at a very young age and figured out actually this church stuff is horseshit and I'm going to die if I believe in it. But I just feel like there's a difference between believing in church and believing in God.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I, I ask about this because I hear, especially since releasing this book, but like, I just hear about this anyway, because it's, I do talk so much about the, um you know, the fact that I wanted to be a priest. And one thing that, that, that strikes me as always strange is when I will post something sort of about maybe a little bit more in the category that you're talking about of like, um, it's a spirituality thing. It's like a spirit thing. And um, invariably, Someone will in the comments put um, like direct folks to a denomination or church that that they think supports queer folks or that they experience as supporting queer folks, and um, I have to remember like that it's not always about me, um, even if it is my platform, because my response to that, just on an emotional level, is usually just like get the fuck out of here with this. Like, for Mm -hmm. me, I am not able to be there. I felt so hurt and disappointed when I saw that the the faith that I was, like, not just, like, raised in, but, like, committed to as an access point to the divine was actually a corporation that Mm. seals its wealth through patriarchy, colonialism, and abuse. I was literally like, wait, what? Like, and I get that some people always knew this. Like I get that some people knew this about the church the whole time. For me, I literally was reading the, you know, documents as a theology major and I was going, wait, like literally, like wait, what? You know, like it to me it was a full stop um, shocking moment. And so I just have this sort of um, – You know, I just don't think like I'm not there yet. Maybe someday I'll be there, but I'm not there yet where I'm like, I just every denomination feels like a fucking Scooby-Doo villain where I'm like, just the masks are going to come off. And that's not that's not there are queer people who do the work. You know, there are people I trust who do the work, who are Mm -hmm. who work in a pastoral sense that for me, that is not I can't I cannot go back
3: there um, right now. Mm -hmm. And it's fucking done for me. Well, I feel the same way. I feel the same way. And I have no idea whether my, um, I, my, whether that will change. Yeah. You know, I'm open to that changing, but I also feel like I know too much. (laughs) (laughs) That's, I mean
0: that again, I hope I actually like, please make me wrong on this. Please present, you know, not you, but the universe, please present, you know, the thing, but I, but I don't, but it's just not there for me right now. I also want to, because I just keep taking little notes on things I want to make sure to cover. Okay, so we got God a little bit. We'll, I'm sure we'll come back. Mm-hmm. We but got we it's, know we it's know part, yeah. it's actually part of all of this. You were talking about the feeling of um, the drugs involved with uh, love. And, you know, another thing that I have said for years, because people will ask me, like, they'll try to talk to me after I'm on stage. Um, and I have to say to people, like, I'm very strange right now. I am on drugs. I'm experiencing drugs in my body because like (laughs) the amount of adrenaline and like endorphins Mm -hmm. that I have currently, Right, like like I'll do a meet and greet after and I'm just, I'm trying so hard to have like a normal face because I just know that I need to like witness this person who's in front of me, but I'm like absolutely jumping out on my skin. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as somebody who like, You have such a strong presence on stage. You're so good at it. Is that something that you thought would be part of writing for you? Like, did you think, and then this will lead to I'm on stage?
3: No. And I'm going to tell you, Cameron, that it thoroughly pissed me off at first. Because truly, and and I've I've talked to other writers who feel, kind of felt this way. Like, it feels like a scooby-doo thing. Like, you think you're a writer, but here's actually what you have to do. Like, so... Truly, what uh, well, you know, I'm a serious introvert. But as a matter of fact, on day 20 of quarantine, Abby turns to me on the couch and goes, Has your life changed? At all? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so I really, when I found writing and when I found writing that could happen on the interwebs, mm-hmm. I thought I had found the magical thing, right? Like, here's the thing where I can actually be honest, that felt very much to me, the way that I wrote and, and, and elicited responses from people felt to me kind of like an A meeting. It was like an A meeting I could do at home. Um, it felt safe. Um, I could talk about, you know, like the importance of community without ever having to, <laughs> to get together with anyone. And then this thing happens with writing and I don't think it's always been a thing but it was, um, no, no, no. Now you've got to go become a commercial for your book. Like you are now a commercial for your book. It's nice that you made that thing, but that was just the first part of your job. And now you have become a commercial for the art you made, which by the way is a whole different skill set. Yes. Right? It's, it's like you're a baker. And then they're like, and just real quick, you have to be a Navy SEAL. <laughs> like they're <laughs> unrelated. And require different constitutions.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah, so I mean, so what you have to do, it, anyway, so Cameron, I think I told you this story before. I but, do think
0: I know what's coming next, but I would love to, I, would, I think okay. the podcast audience needs to hear it. Yes,
3: continue. Needs to hear that for my first maybe 10 speaking engagements, I made my sister sit behind me <laughs> in a chair on stage and say no words <laughs> and say nothing. And I never explained what she was doing so Cameron I still have people come up to me and be like you're so you're so good at this now like I I came to see you once and there was a woman on stage and it was like it was so weird it was like we were doing a panel but only one of us (laughs) so I'm just telling you that story to explain how stressful it was for me you know um and slowly, I just started doing it the way I do everything else. Just like, well, first of all, I figured out that I didn't have to do like a fancy version of speaking. Like I didn't have to do the thing where I stand up and I say a speech. Okay. I can't do that. You, you've seen me. I can't speak while I'm standing. <laughs> up. You blow my mind. I don't know how you do it. You walk. I got, I got standing and speaking. I got <laughs> it's them too. freaking crazy. It's crazy. I bring a chair. I, I've never spoken without a chair. I sit down. I have to sit. I know my boundaries. Okay. Um. And yeah, I feel like I'm good at it now. It's taken me a long time, but I feel like I'm good at translating my writing voice to the stage. Right. right. Um, but Cameron, it's, if, if you, if someday I'll sit down and show you what I go through to give a speech and it's ridiculous. I mean, I, when I sit on a stage and talk and everyone's like, oh, it's just so impromptu and you just sound like you're so natural. I have memorized every freaking word that I'm going to say. It's pain. That's how I manage my anxiety about speaking. So I write everything out and then I speak the entire thing into an iPhone and then I listen to all the things so many times. Sometimes, Cameron, I give the things, the speeches to my dog <laughs> in my bathroom. So I have to do a lot of things to be a freaking clinically anxious, motivational speaker. Can you feel,
0: can you feel the audience being there on, when yes. you're doing it? And. I, yes.
3: It's my chitch no. When and
0: when you feel that, can you be with them? Or like do you need to be on your own script inside of you?
3: No, the only time that I mess, like I get really anxious and terrible and sweat and mess up. I guess what I would call mess up, which is just like lose my way, is when I try to stick too much to the thing inside like mm-hmm. the thing I've memorized. So I have to do the thing where I prepare the living hell out of it and then get on stage and just completely let go of it, which is a very yeah. weird thing.
0: That that actually makes uh, all the sense in the world to me. You know, I asked you a bunch of these questions and it's like, it's funny. It, it does feel so specific to being a writer right now, but it also is not because I feel that more than ever before, sort of anybody in any field is being called to do this double duty of like, we also are the brand that's representing the, you know, the, the job that we do um, for for so many people. And it is very strange. You know, I, I uh, feel this way too, that there's there's just a lot of extra work in terms of learning that is required right now because we are not necessarily at a time of um, specialists. We're more at a time of everybody has to be a jack of all trades. So even if you are Mm -hmm. a specialist, like you, you could be the, um, you know, you have to like, okay, you're a specialist on the pandemic. You actually also have to be good for television, you know, or whatnot. And that, and that's just true of, like of so many different jobs right now and it, it is something that makes this all very complicated because some of the reasons that we got into i got into stand-up because i do not like to sit down and fucking write by myself like mm. like i want to actually and now, it, and now it, i, and I like... fucking have to stay home you know like in a, and not just this but also in the world in the job i created for myself because you know
3: cameron cameron I should write our books. Great. <laughs> and you should go Sounds out great. and promote Sounds them. Sounds great. Sounds great. Sounds
1: great. So people are always like, why do you write, like, what you write about what you write about? Mm-hmm. Like, why do you use, like, these genres... Okay, hold on, wait a minute back up. Okay, this so, is like, so good.
0: I feel great. I feel,
1: I'm excited. <laughs> we're really getting we're really getting our money's worth. <laughs> well, I'm thinking about okay, so genre. So like, so like imagine, imagine that like there's like a sort of a circle where like th- there's different kinds of stories in terms of genre. And as you move around the circle, you're moving away from reality and then eventually coming back toward it. So you have like realism over here. Yes. Then you have like what they call like liminal fantasy, which is like. Like a ghost story where it's like everything is basically real, but then there's like a supernatural element that kind of pops in or there's like an element of unreality. Um, but ghosts aren't real is what you're saying. Yes. To me. Sorry, you're, I guess. saying
0: that to me. I just mean to just to confirm that this. Yeah. Yeah, we are In agree. this scenario. Those are fake. I don't, I'm not scared of those because those right. aren't even real. Um, I guess. Yes. So I've never even been scared of that.
1: Keep going. Um, And then you have, you know, more like sort of portal fantasy where you sort of start in one world and move to another, like Harry Potter. I've heard of it. And then you have like epic fantasy where you're like immersed in another world and like our world is not related. Lord of the Rings. Sure. Exactly. I'm naming things. Yeah. No, no, you're right. You're totally right. Yeah. So and then like you move into sort of more then you move into like science fiction and then you move into like historical. Historical fiction, and then you actually return back to like reality. So like, ah. there's different sort of rules and expectations. Ooh, hoo, hoo, hoo. <laughs> this is fun. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So then basically like, the, the, and then that sort of tells you kind of like what you can expect, like what kind of expectations a reader would have. So like if I tell you. This is a quiet realist novel, but then like a dragon bursts through the window. You'll be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You told me this was a quiet realist novel. This is not. There's rules that have been violated in some way in terms of like the expectations of the world. So for me, like most of my interest lies in that sort of first kind of notch off of reality. So that sort of liminal space. So Like, I've written some science fiction and I've written some historical fiction, but I don't really do a lot of, like, sort of um, portal fantasy or immersive fantasy because it's just not really my, like, area of interest as a writer. Um, But I am really interested in that space where, like, we are mostly sort of operating within a framework of reality, but there's something that's puncturing through. And, like, lots of kinds of horror exist in that space where it's, like, a ghost story or a haunted house story or, um, you know, where there's just some element of something has, like, punctured through, like, something has popped through. Something is not quite right. And we've sort of stepped across some kind of, yeah, like a threshold. We've sort of moved away from reality. Um, and to me, that feels akin to having a body where, like, your humanity is constantly being questioned or, like, your experiences are not sort of contextualized or your body exists in some, like, sort of space of not perfect health where, like, you know, you're having, like, a different kind of experience where you're, like, existing on some, like, le- like other – kind of tweaked place from, like, other kinds of bodies. And I feel like that, to me, those things feel, like, the same. Like, they – whoa, was as I hit my wow. microphone. That They feel like they're existing in the same space. And so, for me, it feels, like, really natural to tie those things together because they're, like – they just, like, exist. They're, like, the same structure. Like, it's <gasps> the same kind of principle.
0: This is – you're so – Carm – you're so smart. As you know, <laughs> I don't have to tell you, that was, like, genius. I mean, I really – It's not
1: – I mean, that's just, like – that's just, like – I mean, that's sort of what I –
0: I don't know. I, yeah. It's just a very interesting way of describing our experience that I haven't Mm. really heard before. Yeah. Exactly articulated that way. The thing of something puncturing, like, I I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, Yeah. What were you saying? It's like,
1: oh, it's just sort of like, or like I'm thinking about how, like, when I was like a teen and I did, I was so not i so did not understand what queer that queerness was a thing that like i had a crush on a friend but like didn't know what that meant and like the experience of like having a feeling or a, or a desire or whatever that like doesn't match up with any existing framework that you've been given is also a way in which you can achieve that like sense of like something is happening that i don't fully understand and I feel alone. Back to this question about feeling alone, where it's like, n- like no one's saying to me, like, ah, yes, I've also had this experience. So like, you just there's this sense of like unreality, or like you you're yeah. So that also just I feel like it's just, like another like way of I don't know way of thinking. About yes, that. that that is yes. So what you're saying is. <laughs> When
0: you found out that you had a crush, you didn't then run directly through a wall at platform nine and three-fourths and then find <laughs> a queer land where everybody's like, we're all—it just was part of your—I think I'm really getting this. Um, Here's just a follow-up question— what did you get on your SAT verbal? That is just an actual I
1: question. I truly don't that remember. I would <laughs> like to. Can you go home and find out? I, I, I probably could. I don't remember. I honestly don't remember. Um, I do remember I got really badly on the math. That I do remember. I was not. I was not a math kid. Wow. My dad's a chemist, so it was like very heartbreaking to him.
0: <sighs> I'm <But>. really sorry. <laughs> to your dad but like
1: <laughs> could you please have him listen to the last five minutes almost? no he's actually very great and supportive and at some point realized I was never going to be a chemist or a doctor or wow. anything like that that I I was like I'm gonna be a writer and he was like oh my god you know he was like very upset wow. but it, now he's now he's okay he's figured it out
0: Carmen, so. I feel upset you didn't ask me what I got on my SAT verbal
1: what did you get on your SAT I got verbal? a perfect
0: score okay I got a fucking perfect score how is that how am I the do you understand what I'm saying
1: no, don't. Why, why would it?
0: <laughs> this is your... Do you see how she's so smart? I just keep looking at Jordan. Uh, this is genius what I'm doing over here. Um, I'm love... I Okay. Wow. Um, what else do I want to discuss with you? Because I feel like I'm trying to figure out what the next... Okay. So is there somewhere in... Like, since you are consuming horror in other spaces...
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is there somewhere that you feel like what you're describing – like, is there is there like a movie or a show or – is there something that you've seen that you feel like is – because you talked a little bit about, like, essentially not inventing this but adding to and following in a tradition. Mm-hmm. Outside of the literary world, is this something that you think has happened? Because I think it, it is isn't sort of – that we have spoken from like a female perspective a queer perspective like i just mm-hmm. can't
1: think of a like in the horror, in like horror film or yeah or tv like you know it's so funny i keep thinking about It's like my brain keeps going to bad examples, like examples of where it failed. Like I keep thinking I I never will forget. I don't know if you – I'm assuming you did not watch American Horror Story or have not watched it if if you –
0: Well, I've read every single synopsis.
1: (laughs) So what are we talking about here? Well, there was – I think it was the second season. Was that Asylum or something? It was a while ago where there was that whole subplot with Sarah Paulson where she was like the lesbian journalist. Yeah, yeah, of course. Right. Married to Claire Duvall. You don't have to tell me
0: who – what – I, yeah. what subplots are I mean, I you talking very, about? I got
1: very excited when I saw it. Like, I was like, I like lost it, I was like, DeVos, I was like, i really excited. And then of course, was like immediately sort of crushed beneath the, like, the, basically it's like she, because I was like, okay, it's really smart to take a, like a season of a show which is based on this sort of real life horror, which is that like at a certain period in our history, we used asylums as these like you know, catch-all spaces for, like, people with disabilities and, like, queer people, and then also did shit like convert, try to convert, like, conversion therapy and, like, and and they, like, do that. They, like, begin to get into that. And I was, like, that's really interesting. I feel like they didn't really do that in the first season where, like, they're sort of using real-life horror plots as a way of sort of pushing into and examining, like, how that... I was, like, that's really smart. That's super interesting. And then this show, like, went completely off the rails and, like... it became about, like, zombies and Nazi doctors and, like, ghosts and demons and nuns and, like, 50 other things and, like, right. completely lost the thread. And I remember being, like, they were so close. Like, I was, like, that was actually really interesting where, like, there was suddenly this, like, I was, like, I mean, it was very uncomfortable to watch those scenes with, like, Sarah Paul. Like, that was, like, be, like basically being, like, take it from her home. Klee Duvall gets threatened to, like, not turn them in. She's just, like, trapped in this asylum and they're, like, sh- right. making her touch. It was awful. I mean, it was awful. It was so upsetting. But then they just, like, moved away from that and, like, kind of forgot that that was a thread. And I was, like, very – and it felt like a really missed opportunity. Like, I was, like, man, like, that could have been so interesting and they really just sort of dropped the ball. And I I feel like I I see a lot of that where I feel like they get close and then they kind of – like, kind of get dropped at the end.
0: Sure. That's – yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, even just – you're right. That's – that is a really – what a – yeah, what an interesting thing to pull out. Nellie Bly, right? That's who was like actually yeah, 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 yeah. um institutionalized to then report on she the yeah. the the um
1: conditions in yes, asylums? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nellie Bly. Well, she was one Yeah, yeah. She she was the, that sort of first one and like got herself committed and then reported on like how bad things were. Um, and there were others, obviously. And actually, I got really interested after that. I actually got really interested in like the history of asylums in the United mm. States and the way, like, I actually ended up doing all this, all this research on my own because I got like really interested in how that, like, the, the sort of the way in which that, and also because that, that is a kind of that's its own like asylum, ba- like, like I don't know what you would call that genre, but like that that is its own kind of setting. That's right? what, and, another in, one that's films.
0: like really a full stop for me. If, like, I here's what it. I don't like. It's a tray. It's got rusty equipment.
1: Get the fuck out of <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. With That's, your tiny yeah. tray of rusty equipment. Get the fuck like, out of here. How do you feel about the dentist? Are you
0: a de- Do you hate the dentist? I know I'm fine with that. I'm actually fine. It's like I literally have goosebumps just thinking about this, though. And the other thing is like anything with aliens, cool. I'm chill with that. Oh, but it's like there's something about – well, you know what? I also had a ton of surgeries as a kid. You know what I mean? Mm. It's just like we find – it's the stuff that, like, we actually—I have not yet been abducted by aliens, and I think that's why I can watch that shit all day. And right, like, right, right. Go, right. Ripley, go. But, like, if it's just, like, a, a little bit rusty on the old <laughs> pliers or whatever the fuck, I'm like, God, it's too much. Um, that is so funny. You know, actually, also, uh, have you read or seen the BBC adaptation of Fingersmith, the Sarah Waters
1: no, well, I, no, 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 I have it's not. It's just a, it's just like a, it's just, it's- it I did love like, that, that novel was very special to me. Though.
0: Oh, yeah, the novel, <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly, that has
0: like a, well, that, that novel has um, some asylum stuff in it too yeah, that specifically yeah, yeah, yeah. applies to, to queer but folks yes, and to mm, women, so mm-hmm. anyway. But I feel like um,
1: that's done really well. I, mean, I don't know if I've called yeah, that horror, but I think that that, No, it's
0: not horror, but yeah, it's- Yeah, it definitely- uh, Stuff I read to have a sexual experience is the yeah. is the genre I put it in. <laughs>
1: yeah, I remember I actually read that book was the first Sarah Waters book I ever read, and I didn't know it was le- I didn't know like she was a lesbian author. Like oh my I, think God. I just picked it up at like a yard sale or something, and so I was reading it and then I was like It's so good. I was like, wow, this feels really gay and I'm getting kind of sweaty and I don't know why, but like, oh i was just reading into things. And then I kept yeah. going, I was like, Oh wait, never mind. Yes.
0: <laughs> it is funny when you pick up something that's called Fingersmith and you're like, Surely this isn't intentional I'm like, she's just joking around. They didn't even did anybody even realize this was the title and then you read the book and you're like, like oh, oh that was yeah. oh yeah they know yeah. she got it she
1: actually did get it
0: she meant what she said oh, um, so good yeah it's really yeah that's really good well this is I wonder then what is there anything that scares you too much that you like can't tackle it that's a
1: good question no I mean there are certainly things that scare me a lot but nothing that I feel like I feel I can't write about. I was just thinking about how my most recent sort of foray into, so the, the comic that I have coming out that's coming out today, like um, part of the plot is about these the protagonists, these two queer teens waking up in a movie theater with no memory having seen the movie that is now... Running, rolling the credits, like the credits are rolling, Um, and I was thinking about that because when I first started writing the comic, I had this other foot (laughs) foot surgery, and I and I at that point I had not had surgery since I was a teen, so it had been a while. And the experience of like anesthesia and that that moment, the way in which it, it, you're, it's just a clip, like it's just like you don't even, it's not like it's like you have dreams or it's woo, like it's literally just like boom, and then suddenly like like a piece of your like hours have advanced, right? In the way that when you're sleeping, it's like that too, right? But like in sleeping, you at least dream or you might wake up during the night. But like with anesthesia, it's like boom, boom. And like a piece of your life has been neatly snipped away. And there was no way to get that back. Like it is gone forever. And so there's something – and I was like, well, that's horrifying. Mm -hmm. And then I also had had a dream that involved a movie theater. And it's sort of hard to explain. But like a, a dream in which like I was in a movie theater and like was still and pretending to be asleep while things were happening. So there was, like, things... There was, like, all these different sort of narratives that I kind of combined and then ended up writing this story, in which, like, there's, like, sort of this part of the plot is that there's like this like, um, this epidemic in this town where, like, women's memories just kind of get snipped away and there's just, it's like, pieces that are missing and they don't know why. And so for me, like, oh. that was, like, a thing that was, like, really bothering me. And I also was thinking, you know, a lot about, like, sexual violence and, like, you know, ways in which memory... And domestic violence, and ways in which memory sort of, there is like this kind of this effect of something is missing for whatever reason, and how that's something that like I'm deeply upsetting about that. And so I, yeah. And then once, so when I started working on the comic, I was like, that's actually what I want to write about is like this. At the, I mean, there's also, there's like body horror in the, in the comic, there's like monsters, there's like a deer woman, there's skinless men, there's all the other kind of creatures, but like there's, that is sort of the center for me is like this, this sort of essential, like existential horror of like something is missing from my mind and I don't know why. And I don't know what was there before. Wow. Um, And then I think it's to me like a thing that like, is very like recent horror for me. That then when I tackled it in while well, writing the comic, actually got to like wor- work some shit out in my own brain because I had to like write about it. Um So yeah.
0: You just throw the phrase "skinless men" out as if it means nothing to you. It <laughs> doesn't. I've seen
1: now. <laughs> I've n- I've now seen drawings of them <laughs> at all everywhere. Um, so I. Can't.
0: <laughs> You know, I I, I I love I love what you just said there. And I think um Yeah, I mean this is not something that I think I will ever experience, but it is also wild because like we can't we don't let ourselves remember um, our brains are programmed so that we forget yeah. a certain amount of pain. Like if mm-hmm. once we pass a threshold and I have had that experience post-surgery where you like lose some time even after you're yeah. awake yeah, 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 and it always makes me think about how childbirth cannot be something that that many women like actually remember and I don't mean oh. I don't mean like the moments but I mean you, you I just know that we are our, our bodies don't let us remember that significant pain like we just that's otherwise and also otherwise we wouldn't continue to do it nobody yeah. would have a second child if you could remember right, right. the first time um and can,
1: can i tell you a horrifying historical detail tell me so i'm working on a news story about this real life phenomenon that happened at the turn of this early part of the century called twilight sleep which was this phenomenon in which women so Amer, it was interesting because american suffragists were we were, were protesting for it because they were like, we want to vote and also we want painless childbirth. And there was this procedure in Germany where women were given a kind of anesthesia, which they would not remember. It isn't that they wouldn't experience it, but they would have then no memory of the childbirth. So it was sort of like like they wouldn't be making short-term memory during the after this procedure would happen. So basically women would go into these like really nice hospitals and then they would suddenly when someone would hand them a baby and be like, here's your baby, congratulations. And they would have like n- absolutely no memory of having delivered the child. But now that they didn't, they weren't awake, that like they were conscious while it was happening, they had to have been, but they're just, their brain didn't make the memory. And they was, so a lot of suffragettes in the States were like really pushing for it. And there were like twilight sleep societies and stuff. And women were sort of like, we deserve voting and also painless childbirth or like childbirth we don't remember. Wow. And then at some point, a bunch of people died. And then at some point they stopped doing it. Um yeah, anyway, so that was, just like, a really—so that's the thing that I—and I'm writing about it as a changeling story. So this idea mm-hmm. of, like, you know, is the child that was handed to you really your kid or, you know, whatever. But I feel like there's something about—yeah, th- like, this idea of, like, like literally like being, like, not only do I, what, do I remember any—I want to remember, like, none of it. And then that's, like, a good thing, as opposed to being the most horrifying—can you imagine if, like, you just suddenly, like, someone handed you a child and was like, congratulations, you had a baby. And it's, like, I don't remember—like, I don't remember—, like I don't remember Doing that. I can't believe that you
0: went ahead and adopted a baby, brought that baby to the studio, had it (laughs) brought in at exactly this moment, and handed it to me. Because that, the amount of planning, we're at 59 minutes and 57 seconds, and I can't believe that you planned that. Yep. Because can you imagine? There's a knock on the door. Cameron? Yeah. It's your baby that's two and a half. Remember when you had her? Yeah. What? And then you just, then you just—it's a puff of smoke, and I don't
1: even know if you were ever here. And I was, and then all the, the recording is totally empty. It's like it's like contact oh where it's God. just it's just static. Oh. But it, but I'm You're Jody Foster. To nobody. But I am yeah. in the recording. I am Jody Foster. Yes.